Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast, Source Fine Asia, and now Enter China. Yeah, um, we're back with a very, very solid episode. Uh, before I explain what that is, I wanted to touch on the Enter China part a bit. So I've got a bit, a little bit of an announcement. Um, should have probably made the announcement a long time ago, but I became a partner in Enter China. I'm not. I'm sure some of my listeners, some of you guys, are familiar with EC, but. Basically, I when I moved to Ch- before I moved to China a uh, year before I finished college, I was trying to figure out what I'm gonna do exactly after I finish work. I mean, after I finish school, and I was like, "Oh, am I gonna go work for a bank and try and like you know cr- climb the corporate ladder?" And then I came across the Elevator Life, which is now Enter China, is Tim and Nick YouTube videos uh, talking about doing business in China, their experiences, um, and I just kind of had this light bulb moment where I was like, "I'm gonna." go to China and do exactly what these guys are doing. So they started the InterChina community, which is like a private mastermind uh, community. You have to, it's a paid membership. Um, we have like a private forum, private Facebook group and such. So I paid, I joined, moved to China in 2014, met China Mike through the InterChina community because China Mike was a member. Nick introduced me to Mike. And then, uh, you know, obviously SourceFine Asia started and, and we've had a bit of success with that, I'd say. Um, and then, you know, because of my what I've done with SFA and Nick and Tim being busy in their respective businesses, they approached a few EnterChina members about taking over the business. And I was one of those people. And we started, uh, we signed a contract in May. And yeah, I mean it's it's pretty it's pretty insane, you know. It's pretty f- insane that I joined it, thinking, hey, I want to go and do exactly what these guys are doing. Moved to China, started SourceFine Asia, and then became a partner in the thing that made me meet my business partner. It's just like it's it's the kind of stuff where you can't you can't make it up. Like I was literally watching YouTube videos in a dorm, <laughs> thinking like, yeah, man, if I could go to China and do what these guys are doing, and then you know this happened. So it's just. One of those situations where you put yourself in the right position, you put yourself in a position to succeed. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're better than anybody else. It's just more so being in the right position at the right time. That being said, I want to play a short clip for from an interview that I did for the EnterChina show. Um, I think this one was how to find a factory. Um, my business partner, Luke Francis, interviewed me. Um, so yeah, just a short clip. You can find the video. I'll link it up in the show notes. You can find the video on YouTube if you type in Enter China Show. It should be episode three. Um, yeah, here we go. Make sure they sign off on it. Uh, another pro tip I actually learned fairly recently is if you do have a chance to sit down with a factory boss, um, again, Mienza, uh, losing face, right? So you want them to sign off on certain details, some of the most important details of the company. If the boss is there and then his sales manager is there or his production manager is there, you get the boss to agree to this sales point, this this uh, acceptable quality level, this delivery time, he now has to keep that, um, he has to hit that deadline because he has to save face in front of his employees. Yeah. Know? So that's a little culture. All right. So that was the clip. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. So I interviewed Renault Angeron from Sofist and also CNC uh, Manufacturing Consulting. He, uh, he's he been in China for a very long time. Uh, he originally moved to Hong Kong. Was uh, <laughs> I guess he was sourcing women's lingerie, 
very interesting job. And then, uh, you know, he decided to make the move into the mainland, and he was obviously getting into systems and quality control. That was kind of his position. And then he started Sophist, which is a quality control company. We use them uh, for multiple. Uh, we've used them for multiple quality control inspections for our clients, and always a pleasure, always on time, affordable, very detailed, structured reports. And you know, I've got nothing but good words to say about their company. We broke down QC in this episode, man. Um, just beginning to end. What is QC? What are the AQL levels? What are the things that you should look out for? What are things that you should uh, things that could happen at the, at a factory? Why do these things happen? Um, and then, of course, we talked about you know the success story, how he started his companies and how he's built them and where he's going in the future. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. You ready? Yeah, when you want. All right. So this is the third time we're doing this uh, this podcast, but uh, I think it's quite important uh, to get this information out there. Right? The first question would be: When you meet someone that doesn't know you at a social function, how do you answer that question? What do you do? Well, we um, I work in the China manufacturing world, and um, I help. People, be they importers or manufacturers, um, through professional services. So it can be quality assurance services and some engineering services for those buyers who buy products in, in China. And it can be some other types of consulting services for manufacturers or some buyers who work very closely with, with a factory, sometimes in a JV or sometimes maybe they own their own factory. Um, and we also help buying offices with some software solutions. Okay. Yeah, and I, I know we, we've talked about this before, uh, but where are you mainly located? I'm in Shenzhen about half the time. So that's the city just next to Hong Kong, basically between Shenzhen and Dongguan, not very far from, uh, sorry, between Hong Kong and Dongguan, not very far from Guangzhou. Um, very young city, and the rest of the time I'm usually traveling in other provinces or traveling around. And then w- with your your main business, Southeast, uh, you guys do QC all over China, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, along the coast, mostly. Uh, very few, um, very few jobs actually inside in the inland uh, provinces. It's mostly along the coast, simply because that's where most of the Export, export manufacturing is still located. And you left France uh, for Hong Kong about over 10 years ago. What made you first leave France? Hmm. I got a job in a, a company that was importing lingerie, lingerie, um, you know, bras and panties sets and that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and they had a Hong Kong office. So the, the French company, the mother company, was a typical importer slash wholesaler. They had sort of a brand, but it was more on the discount market. So it wasn't really 
they weren't real, you know, any real branding, branding um, efforts there. Um, but they, yeah, they were selling to a number of retailers in France. And what they wanted to do, they had some collections, two collections a year with their own styles, mostly uh, their own styles and their own colors and everything. And they wanted to use a Hong Kong company to sell directly to other companies in other countries. Um, they they thought, wow, you know, this is great for our market. It's also great for a lot of other countries. And so <laughs> that was the plan. Uh, I was there with, with an assistant um, trying to get some business going and follow up on productions. But um, that was, let's say, reasonably successful. But uh, underwear is something that's quite different from one country to another. The tastes are, 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 are rather different. If you see, for example, in Spain, it's, it, was, it used to be mostly black and white. In France, much more colorful and, and, and so on. Um, so that, that there were a lot of um, obstacles. Never really analyzed lingerie like that. You know. <laughs> um, so I think, well, why did you stay? Sorry, why, why didn't I stay? Why did um, yeah? Why did you stay in, in in Hong Kong and eventually move to China? Well, why did you, why did you go was, back to France? Yeah, I was going to factories often, either to push them or to check quality, and well, you know that's where the action is. It was much more exciting than Hong Kong at the time. You know, I was young and I was like, yeah, that's where the action is. Hong Kong is nothing, just offices. Uh, that's that's great. That's much more exciting. <laughs> uh, yeah, after a number of years in the mainland, I can um, I can appreciate why Hong Kong is actually not a bad place to to live and and, and work. <laughs> <laughs> so you've done one eighty. One eighty, as in you changed your perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, mm, <clears throat> I would say. Uh, the mainland is is yeah is where the action is as I said, but it's um, it, it just grates on your nerves you know it's just, um, there's, there's there's so many little things that I was thinking well this eh, it's fine you know they're a little rough and there's all these kind of little annoyances but they will get better I mean Taiwan used to be like that even Hong Kong used to be like that. The 50s, of course, actually worse. So they're going to get better. But, um, well, I'm not sure it's really getting that much better. <laughs> Maybe very, very slowly. Very slowly, yeah. So I guess for the people that don't know who you are or what your main businesses are, can you just explain? Uh, you have uh, Sophie's, the, the QC company, sure. and then CMC, China Manufacturing Consultants, right? Right. So... Okay, Sophist is the company I set up about 10 years ago uh, when I was done with that job in Hong Kong. And the purpose of that company is to help the importers, you know, those company that, companies that buy from China, um, with um, supplier qualification services, meaning some supplier background check and factory audits to make sure they, they are capable, you know, they're reliable. Um, checking productions through quality control inspections and some other types of services. More and more we um, get involved in explaining to the factories, no, this is really what the buyer wants. This is their standard. Let us show it to you. Let us you know, take some photos of 
defects or even put like put some defects on the shelves for the workers to, to understand what it is. Oh, no, you should not do like this. You should do like that. Let us prepare some work instructions to break down all the all the work, all the steps you need to follow. You know, this kind of this kind of, of services that are actually quite helpful because if you only do the inspections where you check the products you know, and when it's not good, it's not good, you just reject. Well, that's, you know, it's much better than letting the supplier ship because once it's shipped out, there's nothing, <clears throat> there's, there's no leverage anymore. They've been paid in full. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's very rare that you can ship your products back to the supplier and get yeah. some sort of refund or compensation. It's just not going to happen. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. If you're a buyer, don't count on that. Um, uh, it very, very seldom happens. So, okay, it's good to stop the bad stuff, but then what do you do? You know, I've seen so many cases where it's, it just goes into a crazy situation. The, the, the buyer says, oh, you need to rework and uh, present again for inspection. And then the supplier tries to do something, don't really understand, and it's rejected again. And then it's, it just goes round and round. It's just, it's just nuts. Yeah, you've seen that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely seen that. I mean, this is why I tell everybody, it doesn't even matter if their order is, is very small. Like, you know, if you spend a few hundred dollars on QC, uh, it's going to be worth it, you know? Well, think of all the all the time and, and money and all the attention you invest in your order, even if it's, if it's only a $1,000 order. The thing is, it arrives to you and you can't sell it for whatever reason, how much is your loss? Now, if you place small orders and you really manage your risk, um, there might be you know, a small thing to do to just keep QC, but maybe that's because the supplier has already shipped a few times to you and you keep placing small orders and if the communication is good and you know they really understand what you want and they sent you some, some, some photos of this batch and it looks okay and you still have some stock so maybe you can, um, if ever something goes wrong, you, you can just throw it away and reorder quickly. Well, that, you know, that, that's not shocking to me. But most buyers are not in these situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just better to be safe, you know, because um, you never know. Like you could have ten fantastic orders, and then one particular <laughs> order goes wrong. You know, it's just yeah. When and, they and maybe that's the order where you decide to increase your quantity. You know, <laughs> you just oh, yeah. yeah, you never know what's going to happen. So it's it's just safer to do it. Um, so and then you, I I don't know if you touched on this yet, but the, you have a QC app called Sync Control. It, it's a Right, it's a B two B product. Yeah, that that that's an IT system for managing all the quality side of things, um, mostly the inspections, quality inspections. Um, so we're starting to sell it to some buying offices that have some that have their own team of inspectors here in China, and who want to automate and you know digitize all this this process. Um, and there's, there's a mobile app that, that works on, on tablets for the inspectors. They have everything broken down. They have to follow the, a certain structure, a certain procedure. Of course, some of them resist a lot at the beginning. They're like, oh, you know, what used to take me uh, three hours is going to take me four or five hours. Well, maybe that's because they were taking all kinds of shortcuts before. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, but a lot of the inspectors, um, have a 
a different view and say, oh, this is great. Then we don't have to do the report at night. That's that's good. Um, it's it's kind of interesting the sort of um, responses we have. Um, but yeah, that's that's the idea. That's um, it's called sync control. Sync because it synchronizes in real time as long as it has the internet, which is not a must. And control because it's for controlling quality. And uh, you mentioned it's for buying offices of, of what size? Well, what size would you recommend? Oh, uh, it doesn't really make sense if they just have one, two, three inspectors, um, except if they're really into that. We have a few that have that, that are pretty small and um, that are getting some, some value out of it. But it starts to really make sense once they have five, six and up inspectors. I know a lot of my uh, listeners and, and people that I know doing FBA and stuff, they, they talk about Asia Inspection. It's one of the QC companies, right? Um, mm. One of the most popular ones in China. So how does Sofist, I've worked with you, so I know these things, but how how do you guys differentiate yourselves from a company like uh, Asia Inspection? Okay. Sure. Well, Asia Inspection, uh, yeah, they're pretty famous because they... Um, you see them everywhere. They have a big marketing budget. <laughs> um, they're not a bad. They're not a bad company. Uh, you just um, how to say? Um, you have to log in. You know, do do half the work yourself to give them all the all the specifications and everything. And they don't um, how to say? They don't work very closely with their um, their clients. That's that's why some of the buyers prefer to work with a company like ours where they can ask questions and have direct access to a technical person and um, have more of a human contact, basically. Um, another thing is, well, Asian Inspection is starting to be a big company now, so they have to manage their staff in a certain way in again in an sort of in impersonal way um, and that's you know that's the way it is that's not a problem uh, when you reach a certain size that's what you have to do um, but in a smaller company like ours um, things can be different there can be more of a how to say a direct personal uh, link between the managers and the, and, and the inspectors. Um, that's something I think you can understand because you, you, you've been working in China for some time. Uh, Chinese employees don't give a damn about their company in general. Like zero. Zero, zero loyalty to their company. Um, with some exceptions, in some of the big companies, they're starting to have a big, you know, a strong culture. Uh, but... When you have inspectors on the ground, uh, it's not very realistic to have them be part of a strong company culture. So um, the, the thing is, you, you, what we try to do is to have them work in teams. Um, and so we get when, when there's a new inspector, we get the feedback from the others who say, well, this one, yeah. Is is good or uh, uh, not? Not really sure, you know. So the rest of the team sort of co-opts the the new inspector and the local um, supervisor or the the technical manager is always on the phone with them. You know, what is the biggest misconception people have when it comes to QC? Huh. Mm, 
maybe the biggest misconception is that if you tell the factory you're going to control and you control, you're safe. Well, no, you that that's good. That's very good. But all you're going to know if is it good or not. But you're not going to be safe again. Maybe you're going to go into one of these infinite loops when where you say this is not good and the factory says okay we fixed everything you can control again and then oh if it's, it's still not good you know that's that that's pretty bad a lot of buyers fall in that trap mm, there's a lot of misconception misconceptions another misconception is that um you can control everything at the end just before shipment well that's <laughs> that's actually quite the same as the the first one um once everything is made, well, there's not much can be done anymore. Uh, and the factory is very reluctant to rework the wool batch. So it's much smarter to do um, an inspection earlier during production. Uh, so it's it's sort of an early warning system where, oh, okay, everything's fine. Okay, good. Final inspection should be good. Or, oh, there's some issues here. Now, okay, let's talk with the factory before they have made everything. You know, um, that's that's a that's that's a very good thing when you start to work with a new supplier, um, or you start to make a new product that they're not very used to, even if it's an existing supplier. That's that that's pretty good. Um, I could go on and on. <laughs> so I, I guess the the point would be maybe QC starts with research and development, right? Um, QC starts with the supplier selection. I would say. Um, QC starts with the explanations of what the buyer wants. Um, I mean, that you, you, you know about that. That's that's the kind of things you um, you, you work on. Uh, if this is not done properly, down the road, you're lucky if everything goes right. You're really lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I always talk, I talk about R and D a lot with with some of my customers, and I say, you know, before we even uh, move on to a stage where you want to place the order. We have to make sure that the factory understands what you want, and you know that we're working with the right suppliers. And you know, being wary that even after we place the order, there might be some mistakes. And you have to you have to look for those things. Yeah, go go slow to go fast. You know, at the beginning, slow down. Do your work up front, especially if you think you're going to have reorders. It's really worth it to spend the time to get these these little details right. <laughs> Because that's what determines all the rest. So I think, you know, I think QC can be a little bit confusing. I find that some of our suppliers, not suppliers, but some of our customers, uh, especially people who are not that experienced, they don't know how how to set up a QC and they don't know generally what it is. So can you, I know there's a standard, there's a, a usual standard, the AQL standard. Right. Can you kind of right. give a brief breakdown of what that is and, and why everyone should know? What okay, I'll give you the version in uh, one or two minutes, let's say two minutes. <laughs> um, it was developed during the Second World War by, for, for the American Army when they were receiving batches of, um, you know, the stuff they were purchasing. They had to have a simple way of saying this is good or this is bad. So for, there's, two, there's two things that this standard uh, gives you. Number one, how many pieces should I pick and check at random? Okay, that's based on... That's for random checks. So if it's, um, I don't know, 5,000 pieces and you go with the most 
uh, usual settings called normal, normal severity and level two, you're going to pick 200 pieces and check them. Okay. And then once you have these 200 pieces and you check them, um, let's say you find, um, you know, 10 defects. Okay. Is it too many or is it okay for, for, are we going to reject the badge? What are we going to do? Um, or do we just accept it? Because yeah, we're never, we're never going to get to 0.00 defects, right? So that's the second thing this standard gives you. Um, now it's, it's, it's called ISO 20, 2859-1. There's also an American standard, um, ANSI standard. There's, there's, there's a British standard, French standard, and so on. But basically, it's all the same statistics in the same tables. Um, and the good thing about that is that all suppliers, virtually all suppliers in, um, in China that export to other countries, they're used to it. They're kind of familiar with it. If you say, well, when we're going to do an inspection, it's going to be um, in level 2 and AQL 2.5 for major defect, 4 uh, and, and 4 for uh, 4% for um, minor defects, they kind of understand. They, they, it's sort of a standard. And since a lot of other customers do inspections based on these settings, they... They think, okay, so let me check the numbers. It's the same as this other buyer, so I kind of understand their standard. Okay, you know, oh wow, it's tighter. The the the, the limits are lower. Whoa, uh, why? And, and sometimes no, 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 sometimes no. they reject that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes they push back. They, they're afraid. Um, an inspector comes and says, "Well, there's too many defects. Sorry, it's rejected." And then they get in all kinds of headaches with their their customer. Yeah, I always find it interesting when we're at that stage when we start to talk to the factories. And then I, it kind of also tells me, one, how experienced they are, and then two, uh, what level of quality that they're willing to, to hit, you know? Because mm. if, if they're – I have a couple factories that, um, you know, they we had a lot of major uh, critical defects, so mm. 0% was allowed. But then the, some of the minor ones were like, no, 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 we, we can't do that. We can't. So I always, I always find that quite interesting when, when we get to that stage with the suppliers. Yeah, um, and it's it's something you should discuss with them at the very beginning of a project. Um, you start to talk with a potential supplier. That's that's that that's a signal. <laughs> that's something you should use to qualify them. If you give them your standard and they say no, and and really say, no, sorry, if, you know, um, we estimate that for that price level, um, it doesn't make sense. Or, no, sorry, we've never produced to that kind of standard. Usually we produce for some uh, Middle Eastern countries or whatever. Or we, we ship to India and Pakistan and they're pretty relaxed about that as long as the price is low. Well, if you try to sell in uh, upscale distribution channels in the US, you're going to have a problem. That's really not the supplier for you. That's an easy signal. Now, of course, it's not sufficient. Um, a lot of Chinese suppliers will say, yeah, 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 no problem, no problem, no problem, just to give your, to, to get your order and get your deposit. And then after that, that's when the problems surface. That That's a big problem. Um, and that's but, that's also where the research comes into play, where you have to find out what their experience is, you know, who, who, who yeah. do they mainly, what customers do yeah. they normally have? Like you just mentioned, oh, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And if you, if you visit the factory, you can, 
hopefully you can see some labels or shipping marks or whatever of their customers. And if they're very proud, oh, yeah, we work with blah, 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 you know, that, that big big brand name. Oh, yeah, we work with Disney. Okay. Um, well, we're in the office. Show me their latest five purchase orders to you. And if they say, oh, um, it's more complicated than that, uh, it's not directly to us, it's to a trading company, da, 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 da. Uh, all right. <laughs> so at least there's something on the lines, on the production lines that we can see that's for them. Uh, not really, da, da, you know. <laughs> and if it's, if, it's, if, if it's supposed to be molded, for example, then, oh, then show me the molds. I'm sure a big company like that, we have their name engraved in the mold oh no it's not really that simple you know blah 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 you know <laughs> i i personally always recommend people to do qc and i know uh, you talked about that at the cross-border summit you talked about uh factories not really having their own management systems uh, or not really having efficient management systems, and that's yeah. something that you're working to improve. I've also seen factories that have their own QC division. So, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you think of that? And then, has the management systems have they improved over the last ten years? Okay. Uh, what, what I think about them? Well, there there's everything in China, from the best to the worst, and the ones that tend to say, "Oh, yeah, we have our QC department," blah blah blah. And when, when you visit them, they say, oh, and we do this, and then we check, and we do this, and then we check, and then we do this, and then we check. Um, what you need to do is actually look and ask them for the records or some kind of proof that they actually check right now, you know, not the, not show you some kind of record from last week because that's that's too easy for them to prepare something fake. But you actually observe the people, and then you say, okay, so this operator has been working for 10 minutes and nothing's been checked. So, you know, what, what exactly are you doing? <laughs> you know, that, that, that's the, the most common case. Now, what, what they might have, yeah, they might have a QC department. That's, um, that's pretty common in, in all manufacturing facilities. Um, but how, how, <laughs> okay. How much process controls do they have in place? And then how much inspection and testing is really required? That that depends, you know, from a certain type of production to another type of production is going to be totally different. Um, and then what um, what what do they actually do and, and, and test and inspect and is it appropriate? So you you need to understand their production and you need to understand um the, the, yeah, the requirement of that type of production, and then you observe what they're doing. Because if it's really, um, if it's textile, let's say they're making garments, and nobody's checking anything until the end, where you have two young ladies um, cutting threads, and they call that the final inspection. Well, that's that's a joke. That's a joke. Um, if they cut threads, they're not really looking at you know, for defects in general, <laughs> you've seen that in you know in most garment factories, I'm sure. Uh, now, if it's um, okay, something else extremely common in China: injection molding, injection um, molding of plastic pieces. Well, if they do the setup right and they really inspect the first few pieces, after that, 
the batch is going on and everything is going on, it's more about the maintenance of the press. Um, and from time to time, a QC check. Uh, but, but really, you, um, as long as they maintain, maintain their presses and they check, they have some process control to really, you know, they have the gauge about the, 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 the pressure and the temperature, you know, the, the, the few key parameters, and they make sure that the time of pressing is, is the same, is constant, is within the, their tolerances, they don't really need to inspect the, the pieces very often, right? Um, does it make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, we're doing a PVC toy right now, and uh, yeah. our previous manufacturer, that was pretty much the main issue, is just that they didn't monitor the, the, the temperature and the, and the pressure and, and things like that, and then there were issues in, in, in the production. It just seems like they didn't pay attention while they were manufacturing the product. Well, that, you know? yeah, and that's what I, okay, that, that's what we call process control, and that's part of the management system to put in place the right controls uh, in the right places in, in, in their operations. And that is very weak, very, very weak. Um, okay, and you, you had a broader question about management systems. I, I would say, you know, there's different cycles in the typical Chinese factory. When it's, it's created, it's just very messy, is the boss and his wife, maybe, who manage all the little things. They have a bunch of, of employees. The team grows, but there's no systems in place, you know. <laughs> you, you've seen that a lot of times, I'm sure. I think uh -huh. it was, it's, a, it's a situation of circumstance because they just had so many orders, you know, six, seven years ago that they didn't really feel the need to, to create businesses. They were just, you know, processing orders, you know. Um. You still, you, I think you you still see that these days. Actually, the new factories, they um, yeah, it's, they are very opportunistic. I think that's what you mean, and I I fully agree with that. Um, they okay, they, yeah, they have a few orders. They start the, the 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 new operations, new factory. They hire some staff. They just put them behind the machines or behind the tables. They don't train them in any way. They don't have any systems. <laughs> that's that's the way it is, and then they grow up. You know, and then when they reach 300, 400, 500 people, that really starts to fall apart in a major way. So they start to hire some more professional managers. Uh, they try different things. A lot of them get stuck at that 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 stage. Um, they don't. They, they can't grow up. They just it just falls apart. And yeah, they have no foundations. They have nothing. Uh, but some of them actually put in place some 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 systems. Um, and then let, let's say they grow up and they reach, I don't know, 800, 1,000 people. Now they start to work with some bigger buyers. You know, it's not just a collection of small buyers. In general, they have one, two, three big customers um, to, to, to feed all these people, right? Um, and some of these big customers would actually put a lot of pressure their their manufacturers to improve to put systems in place they come and they audit them and they say you have to improve here's okay you failed on these these points in the audit and you have to work through a corrective action plan and we're going to send the auditor again every month to see your progress and then if you don't progress you don't make progress you're not going to get bigger orders i'm sorry um, and so they have pressure, so they put these these, these systems in place. Um, and the sort of the game in that 
case is that the big customer still gets low prices just because you know they have massive orders, massive volumes, so they can negotiate uh, really really good pricing. Yeah, it's economies of scale. Um, sort of. In China, it's more like um, economies of. Um, I give you big volumes, you just give me low price. There's mm-hmm. there's no there's no economics behind it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of factories lose money on these big big customers uh, because yeah, for a lot of the manual work that a lot of these Chinese factories do, there's actually very little economies of scale. Um, most of that is in the purchasing because they also can commandeer you know lower prices because they have to buy big batches of components and materials. Um, but and then okay, they have to put these systems in place and hire more people to to. To, to have these, these systems um, live, you know, and then who pays the bill? The mid-sized customers and mostly the, the small customers. So that, that's why when you are not, not a big buyer and you go to see a big Chinese factory, they will give you higher prices. That's because uh, they, have, they have more structure and it costs them more uh, because they haven't really figured out how to do it in a lean way. No, they just add people and add structure. And yeah, somebody has to pay the bill. Yeah, somebody somebody definitely has to pay the bill. Um, I, I was just wondering, you know, from our previous conversations, we've uh, I found it interesting we have a little bit of different philosophies when it comes to, to, to management. Um, what have you done to make sure that your staff isn't, isn't corrupted by factories? Are you worried about that? Um, well, when you're in my business, you are always thinking about it, of course. Um, what we've done, well, partly is what I explained before. You have them work in teams and the rest of the team sort of accepts or rejects new, new people. And you, if you have a good, good culture in these teams, you, um, the, you know, bad apples get, it becomes very obvious who's a bad apple very fast. Um, so that's, that, that's a thing. Um, there's a lot of other, you know, little things, but that's the big thing I would say. What have you learned about hiring and, and selecting Chinese employees? Okay. Um, it's what, what, what I learned is that in China, and that might be surprising to some people, but in China you have, you know, you have 1.5 billion people basically, and you have all sorts of characters and profiles uh, fortunately and when I was working with China at the beginning it wasn't really that obvious to me <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you, if, you, if, you, if you see what I mean but you have the feeling that um, they, they, they're a little bit you know regimented and, and really uh, formatted by their education system um, but fortunately, no, you see some people who are very uh, good at paying attention to details and you see some people who are actually good at um, planning things. That's, that's, <clears throat> that skill is not very uh, widespread among Chinese people, I would say. But some people actually are not bad at planning and, and um, um, anticipating things um, and, and, and on and on. You know, I could go on and on. But that's... Um, you, if you don't find the kind of talents you need, 
well, maybe you should really get down to um, what, what kind of intellectual profile you're looking for and then train the person. If you hire young people and you train them, there's, you know, there's, there's no limit. They're smart. They're smart. Yeah, I've also found that that's been very helpful for me, at least as like a, I try to hire people that are either straight out of university or some of them are just graduating, you know, and I, I find like, I, I don't know what it would be like to deal with some of the older Chinese people because I haven't had that experience yet, but mm. I just find that um, the newer ones, it's a blank slate and some of them are very smart and as long as you can sort of reprogram them to be a little bit more um, uh improve the problem solving skills i think <laughs> uh, then or critical thinking and then uh, you're good yeah yeah it works well with some of them yeah and then some others you can try as, as much as you want and you never get any results yeah you must have at least a horror story or, or two from, from some previous inspections well um a lot um <laughs> Horror stories for the inspector. Sure, the factory is not happy. They are somewhere in the hills. There's no way to get a taxi. That's pre-Uber and everything. Mm. And they're not really happy with the results. And uh, they just keep talking. And no, we're not going to drive you back to the bus station. <laughs> wow. You know, and we are five people around you. And no, you're not going to call your manager. You have to change the, the the report first. You know, that's that kind of things happens. Um, sounds like the mafia. Well, you know, in some <laughs> places, Shanto or Wenjo, or that's pretty much pretty much the mafia there. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and sometimes um, it's just you know, sometimes you have a cultural disconnect that was sort of making me uncomfortable at the beginning. Let's say I go in a factory and it's, it's the holiday for, for school. You know, and you, you have um, five kids on, uh, around some tables working along their mums. Well, um, no, I have to tell them, you know, you know what, when I come in, you just don't have these kids here. You just kick them out. You know, I don't want to see them now. When you think about, and that's for listeners, that's not so common. Uh, China is a communist country, and you know, going to school is compulsory, and usually there's no working around that. But well, when it's the holiday, you know, the, the mothers don't think twice; they just uh, bring them to some, especially in the smaller factories. Hey, can I? Okay, I'm going to bring my kid. It's going to help me do s this simple, stupid operation, and it's going to goof around and whatever is better than having him you know stay stay at home well agree or don't agree uh, you know it's uh, why not why not um I, th I think you also mentioned before something about going into a factory and them you know having a, a safe open or something like that you know they... oh yeah well oh yeah I remember going okay that was in in Fujian province and there was this factory and we had regular inspections there so one day I go there because um, the I don't remember exactly there was some kind of problem um, the 
client was not happy about what they were doing and it was maybe like the, the third reinspection or something crazy like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. And then I would sit down, you know, for the inspections in the showroom, uh, which is very common in the showroom where you have all the samples and they get their customers and everything because there's a big conference uh, table with a lot of chairs and a lot of space for doing the inspection in 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 the small factories, that's uh, that's a very common case. And then they had a safe with a bunch of cash inside. You know, look, that's just inside, but very obvious. <laughs> the inspector looks at it and says, "Yeah, sometimes they open that safe and they they try to put some uh, some cash in my in my hands." You know, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty bad. But that's that's the kind of things that. Um, you know that, that you can expect, especially in some somewhat remote places. Uh, Fujian province is really, um, <laughs> really a case. Yeah, you know, a case in point. We, we, we need uh, to make some mafia movies about Chinese manufacturers. <laughs> yes, yes. What yeah. were uh, one of your earliest failures or difficulties when you started uh, doing business in China, and how did you overcome them? In the first meetings, I was too trustworthy. I would say, oh, you okay, you can do that. You work with these people and so on. Okay, great. And at the same time, when they messed up, I would come down on them in a very brutal manner. And I would say, what the heck? You know, and we talked about that. And why didn't you do that? And da, da, da. you told me, you told me, look at this email. You you even wrote it down. You didn't do it. You know, And of course, that's not the way to do with Chinese people at least not when you still want to work with them because um, they just take it personally and they just hate you they just shut um, down right yeah they shut down and they don't, they don't want to um, they don't want to keep interacting with you period you know so I, I've learned to be much more um, process oriented where I would say well you know no 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 we don't jump to conclusions let's go through these steps and whatever so if I were still buying products like I was 10, 11 years ago, I would say, well, no, 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 you have, we have to go through this approval process. We're going to do some due diligence and you're going to have to sign this contract da, 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 before we even talked about, talk about that. And we're going to check your production facilities. Oh, okay. Is this factory? Okay. Then you're going to sign a paper that says that production is going to happen there, blah, 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 blah. So that decreases the risks of, of issues happening. And then when things go wrong, then I would just pull out stuff that was prepared beforehand and I would say, well, that's the, t- the checklist that we agreed on. And you can see very clearly you don't uh, respect what you, um, what you committed to. So what's your plan? Uh, oh, you don't have a plan. Okay, then, you know, let me, let me give you some suggestions. <laughs> um, I think the the second point you made is very important because I think that's a common mistake with foreign buyers is they'll, you know, communicate with a manufacturer via email and you think that you've made all the points and then that manufacturer makes a mistake on a point that you've previously discussed, maybe even more than one time. And then people people get angry. They they just say, well, how can you make that mistake? We we talked about this and exactly the stuff that you're talking yep. about and you know, Chinese Chinese manufacturers just shut down. That's not the way you do business in China. You should expect those mistakes to happen. It's almost your responsibility to, once you talk about something, then follow up and yep. follow up again. You know, uh, yep. to make and sure check. that it's done exactly, and then check and make. And then if it's not done, 
again you don't you don't get angry but you, you point it out and have them correct that mistake so yeah you know it's just it's it sucks you know a lot of people think oh you know you send an email and and somebody says yes i understand and, and they give you confirmation and it should be done but that's just that's just not the way business is done here you know it's yeah buyers have to understand it's their responsibility that's yeah. exactly as you as you said yeah. um I mean, you might get lucky and find a, a factory that's very, very professional, and and they, you know, when you only have to tell them one or two times, and they they get it. But it's very rare. You know. Absolutely. What is your proudest entrepreneurial moment to date? Sorry. What is your proudest entrepreneurial moment to date? Oh wow! Okay, tough question here. <laughs> um, I would say it's when you devise some. Um, some procedures for your company with your own names and your own system and you train your staff and then they, they start to apply it and it, you know, you fine tune it, you fine tune it and then it works. Um, and then they start to use it like they've always, always been using it. Uh, and then the best is when they actually give you some, um, some, some feedback, some suggestions for improvement. And they say, well, uh, what about in this situation, maybe we should do like that? Oh, yeah, great idea. Okay. Now they start to own that, that you know, these processes um, and all this management system. And they start to really, um, yeah, they, they make suggestions. They really, they, they understand it deeply. That's, um, that, you know, <laughs> Uh, make it makes me feel pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Um, so let's get more into the personal questions as we as we close out the interview. I noticed when I was doing research on you that you've been blogging for a, a long time. I even saw mm-hmm. an, an article you did on Business Insider. Like, how long have you actually been blogging, and how beneficial has that been for your business? Okay, I've been blogging since. Uh, January 2009. Um, yeah, Business Insider just republished one of our my articles. I didn't do anything special with them. Um, that, oh, so they, nice they, they uh, I, I guess that's something that they do often, right? They, they kind of yeah, find... Yeah, they do a lot of that. Yeah. Business Insider is a bit like the Huffington Post. But they have a lot of uh, external writers and then sometimes they just see something interesting with a catchy title and they just, uh, they ask if they can republish it. They do a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, blogging to get back to your question. Yeah, of course, uh, big impact because, uh, that's the primary source of new customers. We've stopped doing, doing trade shows. Um, we don't do any cold calling or anything. Um, it's when, once you get, you know, it, is, it sounds easy, and I, I guess it would be harder to do it now than when I started because people send fewer links. It's, it's not as easy um, to, to get links from other websites. And, you know, and I see a lot of people start blogging and then get discouraged about it. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot more competition. And there's, there's more competition. Well, in my space, not, not that much, uh, but it's sort of a niche. Um, it's, uh, well, you know, first you need to get traffic and then you need to convert that traffic. And it, once you talk about 
the kind of things you do and you know and you have a certain number of people who come and read it then they have to have a clear path to contacting you and and going to have a look at your services and for professional services companies like like mine really that's the that's a very good fit that's a very good fit because you you talk about you know the right ways to do this and that and the biggest mistakes in doing this and that and and you give some tips for different things and people come and, and read about it and then you know some people would always try to do everything themselves but that's that's a bit difficult if you know if they're in New York City and they, they want to they want to go and, and check their products in China they, they're not going to fly every time uh, but a lot of people don't want to do everything themselves. They just want to find the right people to do that and then just have a system in place that keeps rolling by itself. And 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 these are good clients. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. yeah, and it's true what you're saying is like I, I guarantee anyone that's listening, if you Google uh, what is an AQL inspection, <laughs> Sophie's and one of her nose articles is going to come up as is one of the first Google results. So... You know, it's definitely a, a niche, and I can see how that would be beneficial. Somebody clicks on that article, they start reading, then they realize, oh, this is actually a QC company. Like maybe I should just use these guys, you know? And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What about networking? Like, uh, you know, we talked about content marketing, but what about networking? Does that do anything for a business like yours, or? Um, a bit, but not that much. Not that much. Uh, not that much because our best clients are the clients who don't have a presence here. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results in your business? <laughs> I would say at the very beginning, talking with different people, talking with everybody, um, talking with the people in the factories, talking with uh, when we're buying through a trading company, maybe talking to to to, to these people, um, talking to different buyers and agents, um, and you know that's how you find some good people to hire. That's how you get some good advice. That's how you you know you get some some feedback about what you do versus what the other companies do and all these kind of things. Um, that, yeah, that when I was starting, that gave me a lot of insights and uh, brought me a lot of good things. Great. And if someone were to understand you better, what three books, blogs, or podcasts should they read or listen to? Hmm. All right. Um, I'll give you three books. Um, First one would be the Learning Organization by Peter Singe. It's um, it's not a big book. Uh, it's interesting in that it, it really explains um, and and the fifth discipline. I think it's the the follow up, the the sequel. But um, you know what what goes into having a um, system thinking sort of um, approach. Uh, I think that's something that's really really missing in china <laughs> um and uh, okay another book maybe would be flow psychology of optimal optimal i forget optimal performance no 
um, I forget the exact subtitle, but it's called Flow. It's a, it's, it's a book about positive psychology, and it's um, it's pretty pretty profound. And um, what what's more more enjoyable? Is it a certain type of work, or is it just doing nothing, watching TV? <laughs> you know, the certain activities that can be um, very enjoyable if you structure them the right way, and work work can be one of them. Um, and then, um, I would say a good strategy book for those readers who are interested in that topic would be the discipline of market leaders. I forget the names of the authors, but we read and hear a lot about Porter and then the, and the, the Blue Ocean strategy and all these kind of things. What do you see yourself doing in 10 years? Whoa. Um, I don't expect to retire very soon and I'll probably be around. Um, what exactly? That's pretty hard to pretty hard to tell uh probably in the same space uh in probably in professional consulting and software but that's um it's a bit hard to to be more specific i mean it's interesting i think even though you know you you start a business you're an entrepreneur two companies it's always like if somebody asks you, what do you think about 10 years from now, what will you be doing? It's always difficult to answer that question, right? Yeah, because if you have very clear plans, it's, it's, it's just not realistic. You, you can't be precise. I mean, when I look back, you know, 10 years ago, you asked me at that time, wow, <laughs> pretty hard to tell. Yeah, uh, yeah I think, uh, Renaud, thank you for being on the, on the podcast. I, I feel like... It's going to be very informative, uh, especially with QC. I feel like QC is underserved. You know, I don't hear too many people talking too in depth about the QC process and stuff. So I think mm-hmm. I think this should be beneficial. Um, yeah. Well, thanks, Rico. Uh, hope it was, was interesting to your readers. And uh, yeah, it was great. If people want to reach out to you, how how can they find you? Uh, they can uh, get to my blog, which is quality inspection no dash no dot nothing just quality inspection in one word dot org dot, dot org and then they, they, there's a contact page and everything there mm-hmm. quality inspection dot, dot org and as well guys if you want to reach out to us uh, you can check out the podcast see all the show notes and books and stuff at sourcemanasia.com slash made in china and you can contact us at info at sourcefindasia.com and twitter instagram and facebook source find asia thank you